listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. All right, guys. Good morning. If you can hear me from the lobby, maybe I can get Marshall to uh, get some people in here. There's Mike. Mike, use your authority to grab some people and bring them in here. How about that? If you could get the, the people in here, yes, we're starting. There you go. There you go. Well, thanks for being here this morning. I'm glad uh, you have chosen uh, to uh, come and uh, hear this discussion this morning. Um, just by way of uh, some housekeeping stuff, if you ever want to grab some more coffee or grab another donut, you are welcome to do that. Uh, there's obviously coffee and donuts outside in the lobby, um, and we'd love for you to drink all that coffee up and eat all those donuts so my kids don't do that after church today. All right, that's what happened last week. So, uh, but um, we are uh, very excited about what the Lord is going to do through the summer as we continue in our summer sessions. And uh, last week, we looked at a question that was uh, based around kind of the what we called the, the gate into uh, the next nine questions. Is religion, or uh, in our case, Christianity, uh, even relevant anymore? Do we even need to follow any sort of Christian belief or Christian foundation? Uh, and hopefully you heard and were uh, encouraged by uh, those, those uh, answers that we gave you last week. But uh, let me just pray for us as we get going this morning. Uh, I'm really excited about the conversation that's going to happen. We have uh, Jared uh, Brandhorst, Grace Brandhorst, that are going to come join us on a panel this morning. Uh, but let me pray uh, as we get going. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, uh, that we uh, can worship you, that we can center around the good news of the gospel. And God, I just pray for uh, this morning's summer session. I pray for this question that we're asking, Lord. I just pray uh, that you uh, would guide our conversation, that you would give us words, uh, that you would um, center our, our words and our, and our, uh, our hearts around uh, your message. And God, I just pray for the hearers. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see uh, your, your gospel. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. So if you weren't here last week, what we said was, uh, by way of housekeeping, uh, by way of kind of understanding where we're going, is we're trying to unpack some questions that are, that are thrown at us uh, by, by the culture. Uh, we're trying to unpack these things not to, like I said last week, not to make, make you better lawyers or arguers, right? Not so that you can go and, uh, you know, I got all the answers, you don't type thing, but help you be equipped to, to have these conversations with your neighbor, with a loved one. And so these questions that we're asking as we go further, further into this, they're going to get more specific to Christianity, and so today's question, as we throw it on the screen, uh, it is, does Christianity crush diversity? Does Christianity crush diversity? This, this may question, uh, may, I don't know, it may come out of left field to some of you. Maybe your, your head's not even tore or like it's not even really wrapping around your head. Like, why would we ask this question? Like, it, like I, when I read the Bible, there's, there's diversity, absolutely. But one of the questions that the culture is bringing to us is this very question. 
And remember, I, I said that centered around our discussion is, is this book, uh, Confronting Christianity, by um, a scholar named Rebecca McLaughlin. And this book centers around these 12 questions. And in her book, she gives three reasons why the culture would ask this question. And, and, she, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you these three, and I'm really going to nail down on one of them, okay? And the first one is that people believe, people think that Christianity is mainly a white Western religion. People have this idea, this, this misconception that Christianity is mainly a white Western religion. And number two, Christians believe that Jesus, this is another way uh, that maybe people think that Christianity crushes diversity, is we believe in the exclusivity of Christ, right? One way to Jesus. And when we do this, this exclusivity tends to paint a picture that people are unloving or disrespectful towards people and towards other religions. That's a misconception about Christianity. And lastly, people tend to believe that Christians are hateful and intolerant towards those who are different in other ways, right? Maybe sexual identity or uh, political identity or all these different identities that you may have within the culture. And one of the things that, we, uh, that people tend to uh, cast upon Christianity is this idea that we are not very, quote-unquote, inclusive. And so all of that put together tends to paint a picture outside the culture looking in of this idea that what? Christianity crush, crushes diversity. So let's think back, okay? Let's, let's maybe answer one of these questions because two of those we're going to get into, all right, later on. We're going to talk about is Jesus the only way? And we're going to talk about uh, the idea of sexual identity and political identity, all these types of things. We're going to get into those later during the summer, but let's look at the first point that we talked about, okay? One of the first things that she says in this book is that people think that Christianity is mainly a white Western religion. And let's just look very clearly at what the Bible would teach on this subject, okay? My, 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 uh, I'm going to give myself about seven minutes to kind of unpack this topic, but this could be a, a long conversation, okay? And let's start from ground zero, because history would tell us that at times... White Westerners have harmed and oppressed people from other racial and cultural backgrounds. Many have asserted that Christianity is a way to keep power over others, right? And we assume like the past is, is, is like the present, right? When you look at medieval art or you look at children's books, a lot of these things are, are presented in a way where Christians and even Jesus himself is a white man with blue eyes. And that's just not the reality. And here's what the reality is. The central characters of the Bible were all, what, Middle Eastern and African. And I have a quote for you, okay? This is, this is a really good quote. This is from this book that I would highly recommend to you. Uh, it is called For God So Loved the World. And it's written by several different authors, uh, our uh, current Southern Baptist Convention president uh, has the foreword in this book, J.D. Greer. Uh, several uh, professors from different Southern Baptist seminaries are in this book. Great, great resource. Uh, and, 
a guy named Darton Harmon says this. He says, the creedal guardrails, I'm going to explain this quote because it's already in two words in. You're like, what? Okay. The creedal guardrails were, uh, of orthodoxy were built by men and women outside the Anglo West. What does he mean by that? Things like the Nicene Creed, things like the Apostles' Creed were not created, not written in Europe. They were not created in the United States. They were written by men and women of African descent, of Middle Eastern descent. Okay, a lot of people think uh, that Martin Luther, raise your hand if you've heard of Martin Luther in this room. All right, good. All right, I was just making sure where we were. All right, all right. Uh, Martin Luther is one of the, the uh, most influential Christians to ever live, right? A lot of people would say that. I would ag- agree with that. But if you back up even further, a lot of his content was written by a guy named Augustine of Hippo. And where is he from? Everybody say Africa. <laughs> Africa. And we see, like this quote says, the creedal guardrails of orthodoxy. The very beginning of our faith was trying to figure out what in the heck just happened when Jesus ascended to heaven. What does this mean for us? Who is Jesus? And so a lot of this was figured out, was fleshed out in these creeds in which we still subscribe to today. You know, Baptists aren't very creedal people, all right? We, we, we're not very good at understanding what that means or what they represent, and it's okay. We kind of get freaked out by them. But they are absolutely essential doctrines of our faith. And so this is a point a very important point to make. Our idea of Christianity is often very myopic, very single, narrow-minded. And I mean that not in the sense of our doctrine, but in the sense of who Christianity or who Christians represent. What I mean by this is often we go to churches because of commonality rather than diversity. It's been famously stated that Today, in America, the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. It's been famously stated. But in the scope of biblical teaching, I will restate what Rebecca McLaughlin says in her book here. This is the next quote for us. Is Christianity is the most diverse, multi-ethnic, and multicultural movement in all of history. In all of history. Christianity does not have a certain type of person, a certain race, a certain gender. It's not, it's not um, exclusive to some uh, country. It is all over the world to the nations. And so what I'm going to do is before I invite Jared and Grace up, I'm going to give you four quick scenes, four quick scenes, biblical scenes that we're, where we see the diversity And Jared's going to speak to more of this too. But the diversity that Christianity creates. The first scene is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is the call of Abraham. Okay? The call of Abraham is what? Is God's covenant with him that he is going to be the father of all nations. Stars in the sky, right? Count the stars. You won't be able to. That's how many descendants you will have. This is the very, very beginning. The very, very beginning of God's plan to bring 
his message to the nations. It's a very small glimpse of what we see. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this plan start to unfold. In places like Isaiah, there's going to be, there's, it's foretold that all the nations are going to come to God's throne to worship. And then we get into Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is seen in a way that Jesus goes and ministers to those who are what? Diverse. We see Jesus go in Luke 10, 25 through 39, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, in this book, I love that she, this is a pretty outrageous claim, but she says that Jesus' uh, ministry to the Good Samaritan would be like a white person that was raised in maybe racial hatred to go and minister to a, a black Muslim. It was absolutely against their culture to, to, to go and be even nice to a Samaritan. But we see Jesus' parable represent our what? Our kindness and compassion to those who are different from us. We see the same thing in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well, who he goes and ministers to. This is a woman, which that was anti-cultural. This is a person who was promiscuous. That was anti-cultural. And Jesus goes and ministers and welcomes her. And then we see Jesus' command in Matthew 28, 19 to what? Go to the nations with the gospel. And on that command, we go to the Acts and the epistles. Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit come down, and it says in Acts 2, uh, 5 through 11, it says, those who heard were from every nation under heaven, right? And they were commanded to go to the ends of the earth. In Paul's letters, in Colossians 3.11, he also says this in Galatians in a different way, but I love this verse in Colossians 3.11. He says, here there is not Greek or Jew underneath the gospel. He's saying, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What's he doing? He's saying, everybody, all the social circles right here are welcomed in under the banner of the gospel. And then we see the glorious letter in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. We see this glimpse of what eternity will be. New heavens, new earth. It says this in chapter 7, verse 9. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, all worship Jesus. The reality is, new heaven, new earth, heaven, eternity... There will be no minority. We will all worship God around his throne. And it goes back to Genesis 12. That this idea, there was not one person, not one type of person that God had, his, had in mind that would be circling around his throne worshiping him for eternity. One of the best parts of Christianity is that it's not exclusive to a land or a people. It's one of the best parts about it because every culture has blind spots. It's just the reality. We have blind spots as people, right? So every culture is going to have blind spots as, uh, you know, making up their, their society. And so as we learn from other cultures, they're able to do what? Say, man, you know, we don't see it that way. Let me help you interpret this a different way. Help, let me help you build you up. It's just like, uh, you know, the community that we have with other brothers and sisters, 
And so as we uh, think about this, diversity is ingrained from the very beginning of Scripture. So as one of the things that I want to bring to you is personal experience. So I'm going to invite Grace and Jared up with me, uh, and they're going to be talking. I have a few questions for them, but I really just want, yeah, y'all come on, yeah, run as fast as you can. I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, but we have a few questions, one that Jared uh, has uh, prepared for you guys, um, and uh, I really want you to hear from them. They have a, a pretty unique experience, uh, and this is why I, I wanted to, uh, to bring them up uh, to be able to answer. Jared, you having trouble back here, brother? Uh, it's like a 3D puzzle. Yes, it is. So one of the first questions that I want you both to answer is tell me about your experience, where, where you grew up, uh, and, and really your experience outside of your Christian experience, outside of Western culture. What are some similarities? What are some differences? You mean where I grew up, like, before I went to yes. Asia? Oh, okay. Well, I pretty much grew up here in Van Alstine uh, for m- most of my life. Uh, I've And I guess I grew up in the youth program here. We attended some other churches before I ended up settling here. So, you know, of course, Western church background. And then, um, and then I guess I was, uh, man, how old was I when I moved to China? I guess I was a couple years out of college. So... Um, and uh, what was the question? <laughs> what was different, right? Well, I'll just ask Grace if she can just take it over. <laughs> okay. uh, no, I was just saying, what are some uh, similarities and differences oh, that so, you've right. seen in your experience from both uh, Western and Eastern? Right. Yeah, um, of course, you know, Grace grew up in China, and, uh, and I'll let her speak to that and growing, and growing up in the church, the Christian church there as a Chinese person. But uh, for me, when I moved to China, uh, the way, of course, the Chinese Communist Party works is you have to register your church and there's some unregistered house churches. And there's, uh, there's kind of like a whole different world there in, in terms of how churches work over there, as well as they allow foreigners to come in and establish these international churches but you have to be a non-Chinese person to attend. So you have to show your passport at the door and stuff like that, even to get in. Um, although some Chinese people sneak in, like my wife, who has a driver's license from the U.S., uh, things like that. So y- there are ways that Chinese people can also uh, come inside, but typically that's very tightly controlled. So I guess that's probably the first difference you would notice if you went to church over there is you'd be like, wow, I have to show my ID to get into the just even into the church, so that's kind of crazy. And then, um, uh, but in terms of similarities, you know, yes, it's very diverse. There are people from all over the world, but um, similarities are, you know, the structure of the worship, you know, the uh, the whole, the whole, uh, what am I trying to say? The service is pretty much the same. They, they kind of sometimes may blend some things like, uh, you know, like the uh, like you were talking about the Apostles' Creed, they might work that in, or uh, the doxology. You know, if you grew up in a church where they do the doxology, uh, or I think it's what is it, Gloria, Patria. You know, glory be to the Father. They'll do some of those traditional things that maybe if you went to more of a liturgical church, um, you'd be familiar with. But other than that, it's very similar, and the worship style was similar. You know, guitars and stuff, 
of course, typically I was going to a really large one in a big city like Beijing or the city we moved to later, you know, it was pretty big. So I'll, and then I'll let you talk a little bit about maybe the Chinese church and your experience. Okay, um, my name is Grace. I was born and raised in China. Um, there, there aren't many people like me who, um, I guess I am the fourth generation. So my great grandparents, they, I have no idea where they heard the gospel from. But the church my uh, grandparents served at in my hometown, um, the church was built over 100 years ago by Western uh, missionaries. And they built uh, schools, hospitals. They trained nurses, um, teachers. So they did a lot of good things in my hometown. And my grandparents, my dad's parents, um, served at that church. So I would always go there. Of course, they were my grandparents. And on Sundays, I just remember as a kid, there were just uh, so many seniors. No offense, just, just uh, yes, just uh, older people. That was the impression. And the, the church didn't have children's ministry for a long time, so I never went to any um, children's Sunday school, anything like that. Um, I think recent years, they started to have some children's ministry. I guess the uh, way of thinking was kids don't understand. Um, we have to wait until they're older. Um, so that that's the church I knew for a long time. And then I went to college. I went to the capital city of China, Beijing. Um, and then I went to this so-called um, registered or government church. Um, Beijing has, I think, 20 million people. It's a very big city, but there are only five, six government churches. Um, so those churches, people say, you might have heard people say, oh, they are controlled by the government, what to preach, uh, how many people can get baptized in a year, um, who can be the pastor, all those things. My own experience, uh, the church I went to in Beijing for five years, this registered government church, um, I didn't feel that way. Um, so I can't talk much about that, why some people um, have that impression. Maybe, maybe they, they did experience that in person, but I did not. Um, but I did feel it was too big. Um, so government churches or registered churches, they are allowed to have their own building. Um, but for a city of, with 20 million people, five churches, just that's just... That doesn't work. Um, so I was intentionally looking for a smaller house church. Um, so I visited a few house churches. House churches can be very big too. They can have over a thousand people. But some churches can, house churches can be very small, usually just gather at somebody's apartment. Um, and because over the years, 
uh, it's gotten very strict. So I remember going to a small house church at somebody's apartment, and they would have, um, they did some construction over the door, padded the door, so the neighbor sound, uh huh, sound proof, so the neighbors won't hear uh, people inside worshiping, because the neighbors might report them, and the landlord would come and say, "Okay, guys, no more. Um, we, I can't lend uh, rent this apartment to you." So, um, so small house churches look like that, and big house churches can be. Uh, as I said, I went to this bigger house church, which Jared also went when he came to China to visit me. They had over a thousand people, and they were renting this um, place at a it's like a business area, business building. Um, from you know Monday to Friday, people would work there, but on Sundays they would just rent that uh, space, and. Um, so I guess later on, people started to call churches like that, like that city churches, They're, because it's not a house. No, it's not a gathering at somebody's house. Um, and I guess three years ago, um, it, I felt kind of out of the blue, but everything is in God's hand, and the government started to crush down churches again. And both big house churches, small house churches, all were closed. And um, so the church he visited when he went to Beijing was shut down. And leaders were detained for a few days and stuff like that. And the pastors are still not allowed to um, leave China. Um, So that's the situation the churches are facing right now in China. But um, sorry, I also forgot your question. I hope I mentioned yeah. some yeah. similarities. No, similarities. that's good. I, I think what specifically I would ask you is what would be some of the differences from uh, your Eastern experience to here, your Western experience? I guess when I first came to Van Austin, um, when I went to the church service in the main sanctuary, the first thing I noticed was... Uh, am I the only Asian here? <laughs> Just, I, I went to school in California, um, and the churches I went to were either just mixed, a lot of Asians, or Chinese-American churches. So that's the, that was the first thing I noticed coming to church here. But, you know, it's not something that bothers me, or, you know, it's just something as... A person naturally, you wouldn't notice, um, and um, really, and nothing else. Yeah. So, Jared, we talked before uh, a little bit, and you spoke to sort of the differences with the, even in creation, um, going back to maybe the biblical idea of diversity. Um, can you speak to that again? I think that would be good for for them to hear. Do you remember what you said? Uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I'll try to remember. 
No, yeah, um, it's just really interesting because uh, I think it is true that the outside world, outside culture, secular world, uh, wants to make it seem like we're trying to put everyone in these like straight jackets, like religious straight jackets, and they're they're trying to like conform you to the same you know, culture and identity and everything. And it, it just seems very stifling. But then it, it takes you like just a few seconds to look at God's creation and realize he's infinitely creative and you can't be infinitely creative with all of creation, I think, and, and squash diversity, you know, like, and, uh, and of course you see that, like you've, you've mentioned already several examples in the, in the Bible and stuff. And I even think about the Tower of Babel because one thing I think we do as an American culture that I think is is incorrect is a lot of times we we make a distinction between a different language and a different culture but i think when you live overseas you realize <clears throat> they're they're so closely related you can't really separate culture from a language so i think at the tower of babel essentially god seeded this whole like multicultural diverse uh process that that we're now seeing today uh, as humanity, you know, spread around the globe and stuff. So, so I, I don't think it takes much thinking to realize that that's absolutely absurd. That that you know, Christianity is trying to uh, squash everybody into the same culture and everything, and um, and so as well as you know, we see that in Acts and things like that with the church and just the the diversity there and stuff. So yeah, I think that's a beautiful part of the gospel. Uh, is that it fits into every culture. It's not something that's specific to even a language or a culture. And even to say our own words of Scripture were not written in English, right? And uh, you can, uh, I would love to hear Kyle Essery. Uh, Kyle Essery was a mentor of mine. He'll, he'll be on the panel in the coming weeks. But um, one of the biggest things, one of his, it's kind of annoying too, his hobbies is language, <laughs> Okay? And he will talk about the importance of biblical language, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek, and how this speaks to exactly what God would want from his people. And, and even the interpretive challenges of, of other countries, of even reading the English uh, to a different uh, you know, interpretation or a different language. It's, it's God has given us his word in a way that's not... You know, that doesn't pigeonhole us into one culture, one way, right? Uh, and, but at the same time, we're unified under a set of doctrines. Right. We're under a banner of Jesus Christ. And that's what's so beautiful about uh, texts like Revelation 7 and texts like Colossians 3, that it's all are different, but all are leading to one place. Um, and, and Christ accepts our, our differences here. Yeah, I, I wanted to also uh, mention, too, that really it's it's Western culture that I think sometimes, like, I've perceived as being more uh, crushing other cultures. You know, this whole materialism and things like that. You go to China, and it's like, wow, like, they have a lot of the same brands we do, and uh, they're pushing the same kind of materialism uh, over there. And I feel like that's actually more oppressive than Christianity because if you think about it, especially if you start looking into talking about languages uh, Bible translation because you've got all these people that that are going out into the world trying to find these hard to reach people groups, and 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 really these people groups could be disappearing because of you know as as the population grows and the cities start encroaching on these remote areas, and 
Uh, and so these people are going out and they're learning their language because they may not have a written language yet. And they're essentially helping these people come up with their own written language, essentially preserving their language and culture since they're so inter intertwined, like we've said. So Christianity, and I think if you actually take a deep look at it, actually is going out there and it's preserving that diversity. It's a really good point. Whereas the, American, the Western, not necessarily American, but Western culture a lot of times is going out there and destroying it. It's a really good point. Um, Grace, I'm going to ask you this question because I think it's a, it's a good question that y'all wrote. Um, how, uh, how is the fact that biblical Christianity is a worldwide, multi-ethnic, diverse religion, how is that encouraging to you? Isn't that encouraging that we're married? That's absolutely, yes. Isn't it encouraging that we're still married? <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I, I see that as God's grace and um, how just how our God is a God of diversity He's not God of confusion, but he's God of diversity and so many different cultures and people from different backgrounds. Even here in First Baptist Church Van Austin, so many people are from somewhere else, different backgrounds. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, it's amazing um, that we, uh, because we... We love the same God, that cultural difference. It just, it, it's very, there, there are, but they're very trivial. And yeah, I thank God for his grace for Jared yeah. and I. We could even meet and get married and just, um, both come to First Baptist Van Austin yeah. Church. Yeah. I like that you use the word trivial, right? Mm -hmm. In comparison, I think of, uh, when Jesus says, um, this is our students' favorite verses, when Jesus calls us to, you know, you should hate your father and mother. They're like, oh, I got that down, right? But that's in comparison to what? That's in comparison to your love for God. And your father and mother are not trivial, but in comparison to the banner of Christ, to the unity that we have in him, it is trivial. Because when in reality, when Revel what Revelation 7-9 speaks to is this uh, greater reality that we will be unified. It's this anti-Tower uh, of Babel, right? It's the rejoining of all nations and all tongues and all languages to one language of worship. And it's a beautiful thing when we can have that heaven on earth right now. When diversity is seen within the church, we're mirroring new creation. And so, Jared, as we uh, finish here... Um, how has uh, attending church internationally changed your perception of the church and how the church relates to God? We kind of hit on this a little bit already, but yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when you were talking earlier about uh, the creeds and things like that, you know, you look back in, in church history and you see how the church was attacked by various cults, cult leaders, you know, people trying to distort God's word. And the response was, we need to nail down what the essentials of the faith are that we can right. all yeah. rally behind. And so I think uh, going to church overseas helps you sort of whittle down your faith to the simplicity, back to the simplicity of the gospel. Mm. And 
start really evaluating, okay, what are the essentials of the faith? And then, uh, and then yeah, those, those cultural differences, like Grace was saying, become more trivial. And, uh, or in fact, I would even argue that they become beautiful because um, they're what makes us unique individuals and cultures and things like that. And, um, and so it's very tempting, I think, when you go overseas um, to, like if you're going to plant a church, for example, you have this perception of, of what church is supposed to be like and how we do things here. Or, you know, you got to have a worship leader that can play guitar and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, whereas you go to China and maybe uh, all they have is an arhu or something, which is, like, you know, what is this? Um, some other instruments or, or something like that. And so I think you have to uh, realize, like, um, that what you have in your mind as, as church, this is what church is, is, uh, is not necessarily true. I mean, you have to be willing to kind of, uh, the things that, you know, aren't doctrinal or anything, you have to kind of accept that you may not, that may not be the most effective way to, to do church uh, overseas. So, um, so I think that just helped me expand my mind uh, in terms of what church can look like uh, with other cultures, with other groups. And, um, you know, I, I even took a trip to Africa at one point when I was in college, and I remember thinking, I don't even know if I can clap to this rhythm in worship. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, and they were like, wait, they just, the way that they worshiped was just like so different, you know, and, and really amazing to watch. And I think it, it causes more worship to uh, well up within you because you're like, wow, this is so cool how different we all worship the same God and, uh, you know, and how it's almost, in my mind, I think it's almost like um, I have a very limited way that I can worship God and each culture does too. So it's almost like God uh, has all the cultures worship him to try to get closer to the fullness of worship he really wants. So that's just... That's really good. And that's that, again, in my opinion, that's one of the best parts of Christianity is its ability to reveal particularly blind spots of, of different cultures. It's one of the beautiful parts is that we're not nailed down to a certain people group, to a certain nation, country, um, and all of these things together, like you said, you said it beautifully, uh, that it all culminates into a f- the fullness of, of worship to our living God. Um, I want to thank you guys for being willing to, to speak uh, to your experiences, and uh, really, it was a really good conversation. Could give it up for Jared and Grace. Um, as we close, uh, let's, let's pray together, uh, and then we will uh, get ready to worship here in about 30 minutes. Let's pray. God, I thank you um, for who you are. I thank you uh, for how big you are, for how just incomprehensible you are, how much more wiser, how much more um, just your ability to create in such a way that we can't really even fathom. God, forgive us for when we Uh, push you into a corner or push your message into a a box. God, thank you for the truths that you have revealed through Scripture that we can be unified under. 
God, thank you for your example and your word of the ways that you bring this message to people from different countries, from different backgrounds. And God, help us mirror you in this effort. Help us bring the gospel in ways and bring compassion and love to people that are different from us, that are our enemies, that are um, hateful to to you and uh, your word. But God, help us be centered under your word, under your message. God, I thank you for Jared and Grace, for their willingness to, to speak to their experiences. I thank you for uh, what they uh, have even taught me over this, uh, these last 45 minutes. God, I pray uh, as we go into worship here in just a few minutes that we would worship the God not of just Van Alstine or Grayson County or Texas, but we would worship the God of the nations, that we would worship the God of the universe, that we would be awestruck of how good and faithful that you are. So God, help us, be with us, and let us worship you with all our heart, mind, and soul. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.